I'm Lindsay Morgan, and you're listening to Talking Policy. Hi, Talking Policy listeners. I'm Lindsay Morgan, your host, and this is our fourth dispatch from Taiwan. In this series, we talk with James Lee about Taiwan's past and present and the pivotal role it plays in the competition between the U.S. and China. James is an affiliate with the University of California Institute on Global Conflict and Cooperation, which sponsors this podcast, and an assistant research fellow at the Institute of European and American Studies at Academia Sinica in Taipei. And James is joining us today. Uh, James, it's good to have you back on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good, thanks. It's good to see you again after a little bit of a lull in our in our dispatch series, but good to have you back. So t- in today's episode, we're going to look ahead to 2024, which is when Taiwanese voters will go to the polls uh, to elect their next president in an election that will be closely watched um, in Beijing and Washington. And of course, anyone who follows the news at all will have seen yesterday Uh, China's paramount leader, Xi Jinping, meeting with uh, the American president, Joe Biden, in in, uh, San Francisco. And one of the the topics of their, you know, four-hour discussions was the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. So much seems to hinge on the fate of this small island. (laughs) Um, James, it's been a while since we've talked. Can you remind us why does Taiwan matter so much in geopolitics? Why is it such a big deal? Taiwan geographically is situated in the middle of the first island chain, right between Japan and the Philippines. So U.S. strategists have warned that if Beijing is able to take control of Taiwan, its ability to project power into the Western Pacific will be enhanced greatly, and it will be able to threaten U.S. allies in the region in a much more direct way than it has in the past. So there is that kind of geographic aspect of Taiwan's strategic importance. And another aspect of it is related to U.S. alliances in general, because the United States' support for Taiwan has been so long-lasting, going back to the early years of the Cold War, there is a fear that if the United States doesn't stand up for Taiwan, it'll affect the United States' reputation and its credibility around the region. And effectively, it will mean that there will be a decisive shift in the balance of power between Washington and Beijing in Beijing's favor if the United States doesn't intervene in Taiwan's defense. And more recently, there has been an argument focusing on the geoeconomic importance of Taiwan. 92% of the world's most advanced semiconductors are manufactured by one Taiwanese company called Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, or TSMC. And this concern about the security of Taiwan is unfolding at the same time that the United States and China are engaged in a much broader geoeconomic competition over a whole suite of strategic emerging technologies, such as high-performance computing, artificial intelligence, next-generation telecommunications. And given that most of the world's advanced chips are manufactured in Taiwan, if China is able to gain control of this critical manufacturing hub, it could mark a decisive shift in favor of Beijing and the geoeconomic competition. Yeah, it's it always blows my mind to think about how absolutely pivotal Taiwan is to the semiconductor industry. To have such a monopoly is, is just, um, it's incredible. I want to ask a follow-up question about what you said. 
the the question of Taiwan as an independent state or as uh, China would say part part of China um, and the U.S. role in this in this question has uh, goes a long way back. It's not something that is new, but it also feels um, much more heightened and tense over the last year or two. What is it about uh, recent politics, recent times that have ratcheted up the tension and, and the stakes? What's been going on recently? What we're seeing right now is actually a consequence of decisions that were made and not made in the early years of the Cold War. In that the dispute over Taiwan is a legacy of the lack of a conclusive resolution to the Chinese Civil War when the former government of China, the Republic of China, retreated to Taiwan and came under U.S. protection, where the, whereas the People's Republic of China was established in the Chinese mainland. And the exact relationship between Taiwan and mainland China has never been decided conclusively. So the United States, for most of the Cold War, recognized the government in Taiwan, the Republic of China, as the government of China. And in the 1970s, Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon started the process of shifting recognition from Taipei to Beijing, and that was achieved in 1979. But then this issue of the future of Taiwan was a major source of contention between Washington and Beijing in this process. And the bargain that they reached was centered on three kind of key terms, peaceful, unofficial, and status quo. The United States affirmed its interest in a peaceful approach to cross-strait differences and threatened to intervene with its own military forces if Beijing didn't pursue a peaceful approach with Taiwan. On the other hand, the United States offered Beijing the assurance that its relations with Taiwan would be unofficial and they would not be formal diplomatic relations, but economic and cultural and quote on their other unofficial relations. And the United States generally said that it would oppose any unilateral attempts to change the status quo. So these three terms became the core of the bargain, peaceful, unofficial, and status quo. And it seemed like there was a staple bargain, but actually the two sides never agreed on what these terms meant. And what we've seen in recent years is that Beijing becoming much more powerful and accelerating its military modernization has been much more capable of challenging the United States position on Taiwan. And the United States has been pushing back. And the fact that they never reached a bargain on the meaning of these three terms is what is causing the, the bargain to seem to unravel. And that's why there's a great deal of heightened concern right now about the risk of a conflict over Taiwan in the next few years. And this has all taken place under the leadership of, of Xi Jinping, who, who has taken a more sort of muscular approach uh, to Taiwan and also to relationship with the U.S., which just underlines how uh, important leadership is, which takes us to the next question, which is the upcoming change of leadership in Taipei. Um, so this will be a presidential election on January 13th, I believe, um, of next year, coming up really fast. Before we get into the details about who's running and who's ahead and who's likely to win, can you just tell us what is at stake with this election, not only for Taiwan, but for the U.S., for China? Why, why does this election matter so much? 
In the last two presidential elections in Taiwan, the voters of Taiwan have chosen a party that historically has been more skeptical of China and less willing to accept the position that Taiwan and China are part of the same country. And because of that, China has been ratcheting up pressure on Taiwan and entering Taiwan's Air Defense Identification Zone, or ADIS, on an almost daily basis. And there is concern among some people that if this continues, Beijing might decide that Taiwan will never want to be part of China, and that Beijing might resort to a military force in order to resolve the dispute in its favor. That's not necessarily going to happen, but that is a concern that some people have. On the other hand, the other side of this equation is that up until 2016, Taiwan's government, under the current opposition party, back then the ruling party, pursued engagement with Beijing in a way that made many voters in Taiwan uncomfortable because there was a fear that economic cooperation was leading gradually toward political integration and that Taiwan's sovereignty and its autonomy were being undermined by the desire to pursue rapprochement on the part of the then ruling party, now in the opposition. So it's effectively a, a debate in Taiwanese politics about whether there's a greater risk about a Taiwan being absorbed into China through uh, greater co uh, cooperation or through greater engagement, or Taiwan being moving toward uh, a, a, a confrontation with Beijing by drifting too close to the United States. And that is what is effectively at stake in the next election. So depending on who is elected, it could have big implications for the overall sort of posture that Taiwan takes towards the U.S. and China. Is that sort of what you're saying? That's what the concern is. But right now, all the parties are trying to reassure voters. They're not going to take um, drastic actions. They're all kind of converging toward the, the center of the political spectrum. But at the extreme ends, those are the concerns that people have. Yeah. So who are the candidates and what positions do they take on, on U.S.-China stuff? The current ruling party's candidate for the next election, the um, Democratic Progressive Party's candidate is William Lai. And his party traditionally has favored more of a distant relationship with Beijing and doesn't accept the idea that Taiwan is part of China. And uh, when William Lai was a premier, he made some comments about being a, quote, pragmatic worker for Taiwan independence. And that has set off alarm bells in Beijing and Washington about whether or not Lai would pursue uh, independence if he were elected to office. And Lai trying to uh, address U.S. audiences and the electorate in Taiwan has said that he won't change the status quo, that he doesn't support a declaration of independence, and his stance is that Taiwan is already an independent and sovereign country called the Republic of China, Taiwan. So there you see him trying to present his platform as being much closer to the center of the political spectrum in Taiwan. So that's the current ruling party's candidate. The op main opposition party is the KMT, the uh, party of Chiang Kai-shek, and they have historically adopted a position of being closer to China, and they maintain a platform of what is called the 1992 consensus, which is the position that Taiwan and China are part of the same country, but they don't accept Beijing as the government of China. And they're trying to sell that platform to voters by saying that 
if Taiwan accepts as part of China, the risk of conflict with Beijing will diminish significantly. But this won't require Taiwan to surrender its sovereignty to Beijing because it doesn't involve recognizing Beijing as the government of China. And so that is a very complex position. It's got a lot of people confused, not only in Taiwan, but also in the United States. And then what's also really interesting about this election is that there's now a, a significant third party in uh, trying to occupy the mid-range of the political spectrum. So historically, Taiwan has effectively had a two-party system. There's never been a third-party candidate uh, winning uh, the presidential election. But now there's a major third party called the Taiwan People's Party, led by the former mayor of Taipei, um, Ko Wenzhou. And he has tried to present himself as being the centrist in this debate between the various parties running for a presidential election. So um, Ko Wenzhou has said on the one hand that the DPP is, or Democratic Progressive Party is leading Taiwan towards a conflict with China. On the other hand, he's saying the KMT is leading Taiwan too close to Beijing. And so he positions himself in the center of those two platforms. So the two main opposition parties were intending to form a coalition, but it's been a dramatic couple of weeks in Taiwanese politics. Tell us about what happened, what unfolded over the last few weeks. There were these last minute negotiations about forming a, a joint ticket. Uh, but then initially there was an agreement that there would be a joint ticket, but then the talks reportedly collapsed because they couldn't agree on who would be on the presidential slot and who would be on the vice okay. presidential slot. And okay. so neither side was willing to to give way, and eventually the talks collapsed, and um, and now they're running on on separate tickets. Oh, that's funny. That's an all too human reason for uh, the collapse of. Okay, okay. Well, so who's leading in the polls? It's it's really interesting to hear that a third party can can generate like significant support uh, in the U.S. Of course, where many of our listeners live, um, it's uh, unthinkable, you know, that a third party candidate could could do that. Um, tell us about who's leading and kind of what are the electoral dynamics that are shaping this? Currently, according to the latest polls, it seems like the candidate from the current ruling party, uh, William Lai, is leading, though the margin uh, of the lead is, is not large enough to suggest that, th that his party would have a comfortable victory in the election. Right. So I think at, at this point, it, it's probably safest to say that it's a coin toss among the three candidates at this point. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about Taiwanese citizens and voters. You and your colleagues have done uh, research and public opinion surveys in Taiwan to understand Taiwanese people and voter views about a whole range of issues. And so I want to ask about what you learned. I think um, you, you did your last survey in October. What do what do Taiwanese voters uh think about Taiwan's relationship with the U.S. versus relationship with China. Where do Taiwanese people land on that? So this is a survey project that I've been working on with my colleagues in Taiwan, um, Xin Jinpan, Wen Chenwu, and um, Jianhui Wu. Uh, it's a, a survey that we fielded uh, every year for the last three years. So we've been able to track changes in opinion uh, since uh, 2021. And so what we found, and this is kind of corroborating other public opinion surveys, is that there's a strong consensus in favor of the status quo in, in Taiwan. The issue becomes, what is the status quo? 
Yeah. And that's the main dividing line among the electorate in Taiwan. And it's what the various parties are campaigning on, different interpretations of the status quo. There isn't very much support for immediate an immediate declaration of independence, and there's even less support for unification with China. Mm-hmm. And so we found that at, at the extreme ends of the spectrum, there, there's very little support. And um, the, the majority of the support is for some version of the status quo. And uh, w- within that notion of accepting the status quo, there's a, a divergence of opinion. Uh, respondents were divided on the how they interpret the current nature of the status quo with regard to Taiwan's exact relationship uh, with China. So most of the respondents said that they did not think Taiwan and China were part of the same country, but there is still a minority that does consider Taiwan and China to be part of the same country. Hmm. We also followed up with uh, respondents who said that Taiwan and China were part of the same country. And the a lot of people decided to skip the question. So the results oh, are interesting, particularly significant, but it kind of gives a snapshot of the unease mm. that even people who support the one China concept have about the idea of developing closer ties with China. So um, for the people who said that Taiwan and China are part of the same country, we asked the follow-up question. So what do you mean? What is that country? Yeah, yeah. And very few people said that the country was the People's Republic of China. A lot of people said that for Taiwan, it's the Republic of China, Taiwan's official name. Mm-hmm. For Beijing, it's the People's Republic of China. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is close to the KMT's platform of the 1992 consensus. But almost almost no one thought that Taiwan was part of the People's Republic of China. Hmm. Um, we talked about China sort of ratcheting up um, saber rattling in terms of Taiwan and some increased military exercises that have happened in the strait over the last several months. There's a lot of news coverage, uh, or there has been a lot of news coverage over the last year at least, expressing concern about a potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Um, I think you have suggested um, in prior interviews and and here today as well that this is not likely anytime soon. But one of the things that comes up when we talk about the potential for some kind of Chinese invasion of Taiwan is the so-called Silicon Shield, which is what you mentioned earlier with the semiconductor dominance. um, that Taiwan absolutely dominates um, the global semiconductor industry. So we are all highly dependent on Taiwan for the chips that make our modern life possible. Do you think that the... Taiwan's dominance in the semiconductor sector makes uh, any kind of China move uh, less likely or more likely? And what do Taiwanese people think about that? So personally, I think that Taiwan's dominance in the semiconductor industry, all else equal, makes it more likely that the United States will intervene in Taiwan's defense. And right now, there's a a great deal of debate within the U.S. about whether the United States um, should support Taiwan and how much, and people who argue in favor of supporting Taiwan, such as Wisconsin Representative Mike Gallagher, have placed a lot of emphasis on uh, the importance of TSMC and Taiwan's semiconductor industry. And he cites a figure that the Office of the Air Force did a study and found that if China took control of Taiwan, China would take uh, control 80% of all of the computer chip manufacturing in the world. And so people like Mike Gallagher will cite the, Taiwan's geoeconomic importance to build 
support for Taiwan um, in U.S. domestic politics. And we've seen this also in European discussions of Taiwan security. For a long time, Europe was very distant from these issues and these quite, uh, debates about Taiwan security. But more recently, there has been much more attention paid. And one of the key arguments that European leaders have been selling to voters in Europe is that Taiwan's chip industry is critically important for, for their lives and uh, for the prosperity of the, the uh, global economy. And the G7 has referred to Taiwan security as being indispensable to uh, peace and, and prosperity around the world. So yes, I think that Taiwan's semiconductor industry is very important for its security. As to what voters in Taiwan think, they actually don't seem to agree with me in this in the sense that uh, so this Silicon Shield argument, it comes up a lot in the news, but when we poll the respondents, we found that if you ask respondents, do you think TSMC makes it more likely that America will intervene in Taiwan's defense? Actually, over 50% say they don't really believe in that argument. And so that's the, the, the positive Silicon Shield argument in the sense that it's about the United States supporting Taiwan. And there's also a negative Silicon Shield argument, which is that because of TSMC's critical importance in the mm -hmm. semiconductor industry, uh, TSMC has come under a lot of pressure from the United States and other countries to relocate semiconductor manufacturing to the United States or to other countries. Yeah. And so there's a negative Silicon Shield argument, which is, you know, kind of talk about the linkage between TSMC and Taiwan security, which says that if TSMC moves to the US, then the United States will not defend yeah. Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. And so what we found is that most people, at least most of the respondents in our surveys don't buy that argument either. So overall, looking at the, the whole pool of respondents, uh, we found that there isn't strong support for the Silicon Shield argument. But if you break it down by partisanship, it's a, it becomes a more interesting kind of picture in that you find that people who support the DPP tend to be more willing to express support for the positive Silicon Shield argument, mm -hmm. whereas people who support the KMT tend to be more supportive of the negative Silicon Shield argument. So That's interesting kind of the general view. So there's a lot of mixed views on this in Taiwan. Yeah. The world trend is general kind of skepticism. Have there been any moves to relocate um, T TSMC to the U.S.? Yes. Uh, so starting with the Trump administration, there was a lot of pressure coming from the United States. And that pressure hasn't really changed that much under the Biden administration because there's been a distinct shift toward industrial policy in the United States. And so TSMC has agreed to establish new uh, fabrication facilities or fabs in Arizona and to upgrade them with increasingly advanced technology. That is the plan. It hasn't gone as smoothly as the United States would like, and the United States has been planning for the construction delays uh, and labor disputes have uh, slowed down TSMC's ability to roll out uh, large-scale manufacturing in the United States. But the way that TSMC seems to have kind of found this way of uh, addressing U.S. concerns without transferring all of its most valuable assets to the United States mm -hmm. is that TSMC has set up fabs that can produce technology that always seems to be one generation behind of what mm -hmm. is being 
closed in Taiwan. So mm-hmm. if you follow the announcement of TSMC, which saying which kind of process technology will be deployed a large scale in SPAPs in Arizona, then you, and you kind of mash that with what it's been saying in Taiwan, there's always this kind of this kind of staggered sort of announcement. So this way they actually have a way of pleasing everyone in that the US is getting more and more advanced technology with each new generation. Uh, but Taiwan isn't uh, transferring all of its most advanced technology to the U.S. either. Yeah. We're about to head into our own highly consequential presidential election uh, here in the U.S. in 2024. And the question, no matter what topic it is, um, is how will the election impact global politics? How will it impact geoeconomics? So depending on the outcome here in the United States, a Democrat, a Republican, I mean, I'm asking you to speculate a little bit here, but what what do you think the impact will be, depending on who wins the election, for Taiwan, for U.S.-Taiwan relations? It's actually a, a fairly tricky question to answer, um, not just because it's about predicting the future, but also because it depends on whether we're talking about which party versus the um, which individual. The Republican Party has been very supportive of Taiwan historically um, and continuing um, consistently into the present. But Donald Trump, during his presidency, signaled a kind of a transactional view of Taiwan. So, for example, when uh, he was just elected in 2016, um, Trump said, I don't know why we have to support a one China policy if they're not willing to make a deal with us and other things like trade. And, and so he seemed like he was willing to treat Taiwan as a bargaining chip in negotiations with Beijing. Whereas uh, Biden has not talked that way about Taiwan. And Biden has been clear that if China were to attack Taiwan, uh, under Biden, the United States would deploy military forces. And, and he's made that very clear in his statements. Whereas Trump has not um, made those kind of statements. So the Republican Party as a whole is much more supportive of Taiwan. But Trump as a candidate doesn't really seem like he's as supportive of Taiwan uh, compared to Biden as a candidate. That's really interesting. Yeah. James Lee, good to be with you. Thanks for joining us. And we'll talk to you again after the election. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us at IGCC and have a great week.